on this episode of AV Week, joining forces between resi and commercial, the importance of the CHIPS Act, and when AI will impact AV. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 574, recorded Friday, August 19th, 2022. AV Scars. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry leading technology backed by world class support. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, she hails from Long Island. And she is Gina Sansevero from Atlas IED. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you, Tim. I am always pleased to be joining you on AV Week. This is a lot of fun for me. I appreciate it. And we got to see each other in real life uh, oh, about a week ago. in real life with real hugs. Yeah. Uh, Gina and I got to hang out with the rest of the PSNI uh, marketing people, uh, which is very cool for me because uh, usually they stick me with the, with the engineering folks and I just get lost. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. So that was a lot of fun. What a unique event in our industry. Oh my gosh, yeah. Very rarely do you get you know just focusing on on marketing for a couple of days uh, with really smart people. And believe me, we need it. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, what is uh, is Nyree Hollingsworth just due south, I guess, of of Gina? Um, how are you, sir? I'm good, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, everybody's East Coast today, except for me. Uh, so, well, your Eastern time zone, Mr. McGinnis. Uh, Mr. Brock McGinnis, uh, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm terrific, Tim. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. Anytime. anytime. Uh, so first first article actually comes to us from our friend uh, Cindy Davis uh, over at AV Technology and Future. She writes about how AI is transforming pro-AV. And I want to read a couple of, of quotes here from, from Cindy's article. Uh, one is that, the, first of all, you've got um, a couple of definitions of what AI is, right? Uh, and then what some of the capabilities currently. Now, it goes into a little bit of automation, which that, that automatically grabs me, right? Uh, control automation is still one of my favorite parts of the industry. Uh, but one of the things that she touches on is how AI and facial detection is being used to integrate into some of those those, those control automation platforms, mainly for security and for access. But the other part of that, though, is looking at AI intelligence. Uh, and one of the young men that, that she interviews uh, is, a, is a friend, uh, Rich Ventura, uh, currently with Sony um, uh, Professional Solutions. Uh, Rich has been into the, the AI portion of display and, and digital signage for a number of years. And looking how you can give a, a computer and a system um, a, a bulk of just basically, you know, not basically, but a bulk of, of content, a, a bucket of content and say, here, here's some parameters. Now go make content as needed. Uh, and one of those uh, ideas is, um, is a display system in, let's say, a retail location where, um, yeah, they're going to they're gonna market, I don't know, um, umbrellas and raincoats if suddenly it's raining outside was as opposed to you know slacks and and uh, and sandals if it's not uh, those systems already exist 
Uh, Gina, I'm going to start with you on this. When you look at something like this and you look at AI in general, where does where do you see AI heading when it comes to uh, the industry? So um, I love the concept of the uh, AGI. Um, that was interesting to me as I read through this article, the generalized intelligence. So essentially um, taking a lot of that focused um, intelligence, that focused data, and generalizing it to other realms of, you know, a person's life or a retail setting or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, one of the things that we've been talking about for a long time on the higher ed side is wouldn't it be nice because um, historically professors have um, lacked technological savviness? Um, and so wouldn't it be nice for a professor to walk into a room, uh, any room on campus that's registrar owned and have facial recognition detect that person, be able to then set all of the um, equipment in that room to their liking that was predetermined, right? And they don't have to touch a thing. Shades, lighting, projector or display, um, whatever that might be, audio settings, that is all pre-configured using their, um, their registrar ID for lack of a better term. So, um, you know, going beyond that retail application, you have a lot of different applications where you're taking the, uh, the failure points of technology out of the hands of the people that usually uh, have that, that struggle. And that, that absolutely can, can happen, right? Because you're able to uh, connect and coordinate between either, you know, single sign-on and their face. Uh, as well as you know, coordinating um, with whatever control platform you're using. Um, Nairi, same question here. Is, is, is you're looking at, Nairi spent a lot of time in, in corporate, uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, you know, uh, where do you see AI fitting in here? Uh, similar use cases, uh, you know, I don't deal with professors as much, but I do deal with executives that, you know, are struggle just as much to get these systems up and running and I would imagine have a little bit shorter patience when it doesn't uh, work uh, exactly how they want to. Um, so I see the promise in, you know, the holy grail and the white wheel that I've been chasing for the past few years is that zero touch uh, meeting experience where you just walk in and sit down and, you know, the systems already know who you are and they can launch your meeting based on your Outlook calendar invite. Um, and get the system tuned and, and configured, you know, to the, the settings of the individuals in the room. Um, and I'm talking dynamically uh, adjusting cameras, dynamically adjusting microphones uh, to suit the number of people that are in the room uh, to give you that truly immersive experience that is really hard to do uh, with the current way that we are able to manipulate this technology. Um, and I am optimistic that I, I see, you know, a lot of these technologies converging, um, especially as you start to intersect this data with a lot of the other data that's available to you from a building automation perspective um, and allow these systems to really just go uh, on their own in a lot of ways. You know, they I don't think you're going to get rid of like your, your support technicians and things of that nature, because obviously this stuff isn't going to work 100 percent of the time. Um, but to the extent that we can get it working in, in this case, 50% of the time, I think that's a huge win. Do you, really quickly, Nairi, before I, I get on to Brock, do you think the, the zero touch is 
an extension of COVID, an extension of the pandemic, or do you think it was moving that direction anyway before 2020? I was thinking that way before 2020. Um, and I think that's I think that's where that technology was heading even prior to the pandemic. It's just the pandemic in a lot of ways and accelerated a lot of these efforts and, and gave us a little bit more courage uh, to be risky and, and actually try them out in our environments because, you know, we're definitely not looking at going backwards. So what is that next thing and what can we use and, and try out uh, to get us to that next level? Brock, sorry, go ahead. Uh, wh- where do you see this? And is this something that we're we were already heading down, or or and and accelerated by by COVID? Um, I don't think there's any question. Uh, you know what uh, what Nairi said that um, that we we want the user to have as little input uh, into messing up the systems that we give them, um, and they've had this great experience at home. Uh, for a couple of years. And and at home, you know, they've got a fixed system. It's always the same. They click that one join button um, and everything's right. The microphone is set for them. The camera is set for them. So, um, you know, what, whether, whether that's AI or whether that's just programming, um, AI to me is, is a series of uh, if-then commands and programming with a bunch of databases behind it. And the deeper the database, um, and the the more accurate the if, uh, you know, the more accurate the end, uh, the then. But I'm also terrified by it. Um, I don't know if you recall, Tim, but the last time we recorded this show, not only was my uh, internet provider on a national outage, but that was the day that my bank froze all of my accounts because some computer with AI detected uh, what they perceived to be fraudulent activity across my bank accounts. And I could not reactivate it um, without walking into a branch and and spending about two hours uh, attempting to physically validate who I was and what those transactions were, which is just insane. So that kind of AI, I don't need. Facial recognition is a hot steaming mess um, because I, I think it was developed by people that look like me and it doesn't do well with people that look like Nairi or people that look, you know, different than me. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the worst thing that we can do is tell people, I'm going to give you a self-driving car and then have it kill other folks on the road because it just doesn't work quite right. So, um, so it, in audiovisual, I don't think it's unfair for a user to press a button that says join, um, and but that there is some intelligence behind the individual who's operating the meeting uh, or the classroom and having their parameters automatically follow uh, from that. And it doesn't have to be facial recognition. It can be an RFID. Uh, it can be a fingerprint. Uh, it can be just a passcode on their you know, with two factor on their cell phone. Um, but, you know, it, it, AI, is a, AI is a very two, two-edged sword until it adds the general intelligence that, uh, that Gina was speaking about. All right. Uh, next uh, comes uh, to us from uh, Commercial Integrator. I, I stumbled a little, a little bit here because it certainly could have been written uh, in Commercial Integrator's sister publication, CE Pro. 
And that is because it was written uh, by Amanda Wildman. Uh, Amanda is a member of the board for CEDIA, the residential version, uh, uh, the residential uh, organization that uh, kind of a little bit like like Avixa, they do some things differently, but they certainly they, they cover and, and support the residential arm of the AV industry. And Amanda writes, should commercial and residential integrators partner up? Now, before Brock throws something at me through the screen, let me explain what, what, where, where, where I got this. Number one, Amanda makes a couple really good points. And Brock, you kind of said this a little bit. Folks have been in their house for two years, right? They, they have been using, you can call it resumercial, right? Or, or prosumer devices for two years. And they're slowly getting back into, in, into the workplace, but there's, there's still a good percentage of folks that are, that are gonna be hybrid, meaning they're gonna be in the office where our folks all live, and then they're going to be home where Amanda and Cedia live. So the question here is you've got work from home. You've got some similar um, technologies. Sure as heck. And, and AV Nation is headed to, to Cedia in a couple of, in about a month or so. There are going to be plenty of, of dealers or, or, or of vendors there who will have booths who are also at Infocom. Right. So there is some crossover here. Nairi, as you're reading this, and, and, and Nairi, again, lives in, in Fortune 500 here, um, but as you're reading this, does this make sense where resi and, and commercial, at least here in the States, and I say that as a, as a caveat, because in large parts of Europe, they don't care. AV is AV, right? They'll put it in anywhere. But here in the States, we've certainly segmented ourselves. So does that make sense to you where maybe if, if you, you get two dealers together and say, I'll take care of the houses, you take care of the, of the conference rooms? Yeah, I think there's some opportunity there for sure, because um, I vividly remember just two years ago um, as the pandemic was, you know, going much longer than any of us were anticipating, having conversations with my leadership about how do we put together a kit for our executives that they could use and set up in their house and make it simple, um, but yet effective for them to do similar conversations like this podcasts and presentations, but also, you know, just a regular all hands meeting with their teams. Um, because, uh, we've all seen those news broadcasts that happened from people's homes, uh, over the past year and a half. And you, you would expect that someone that was making as much or as famous as person X was would have a much better setup and they just really didn't have that expertise and knowledge to buy the right equipment and put it in the right places and, you know, set up the acoustics and, and environments in their homes uh, to, to really make it production ready. So I think there's an opportunity for those on the commercial side uh, to, to offer that level of expertise to those on the uh, residential side. Is it via partnership? Is it via acquisition? I don't know. There's, there's probably a healthy mix either way. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you're going to see more uh, commercial integrators getting into that kind of residential space simply because their clients, you know, have executives that need spaces that, you know, for all intents and purposes, operate just as efficiently and effectively as their offices, uh, in, in as their corporate offices. All right, Brock. Same kind of question here. Does it? Does this? Where Where do you see this falling, and where do you see this heading between the the residential part of some some commercial grade stuff in people's homes, pushing you know pushing their way into into commercial side? 
There are two different kinds of service organizations, and I believe that this was actually brought forward in the article. Um, the, uh, uh, the kind of people that know construction or know how to work in the corporate environment with a professional IT team uh, don't necessarily know uh, how to work in a residential environment and with a family. And they certainly don't know how to support them after five o'clock um, and, and have organizations that are designed. I, I think I, I don't think it's about the technology anymore because I think the technology is very similar. Um, any, you know, any good CDA contractor uh, can install a good home office uh, video conferencing setup. I, I, I have no question about that. Um, can a commercial contractor like myself support a family and, you know, their network and their media and their gaming and their uh, streaming at 1130 at night when in the middle of a party it goes down? No, not especially well. And uh, I learned that the hard way. In fact, I think that's where this scar came from. And, and, and maybe that one, uh, that, that it's, it's just really tough. All right. Gina, as a manufacturer, um, does what, where do you see some of this? And I, I mentioned this Atlas and, and uh, you know, ha, has been at CDA in the past. I don't believe you guys are there this year, but you have exhibited in the past um, for various reasons. Right. I mean, uh, not only does atmosphere fit a lot of atmospheres is, is their their audio distribution platform um, that fits a lot in what what Resi folks are doing in, in, you know, hospitality and stuff like that. But you also have other products as well. Are you guys seeing some of this crossover or is what are you seeing when it comes to some of the either the commercial folks trying to support folks, you know, you know, their clients home offices or the opposite side of that, some, some residential folks trying to, you know, um, improve people's homes, home offices. Yeah, so I, this, I mean, maybe I'm just short sighted, but this um, specific article confused me a bit. I, I don't know why you would want to partner with a residential um, integrator. They have a lot of access to the equipment that's going to work best in homes, even from a video conferencing setup. Um, those who are working from homes don't want our black magic black boxes. They don't want the complexity. They want to be able to sit down, get up and running in five minutes because you know what? That their kids are going to be running in in the next half hour for lunch, and they need to be up and running as quickly as possible. There's a reason why we have prosumer products. They have high quality, but also intuitive um, interfaces, right? So, so that was a little bit confusing to me. The other thing that was a little bit confusing to me was um, the messaging and the language is so completely different when you're talking to a consumer who is a residential person versus that IT or AV person who's working in corporate higher ed, whatever vertical you're working in, right? And so why, why confuse sales? Why confuse marketing? Um, I, I don't believe that there's a need for necessarily that partnership. And I think there's a huge value and huge power of partnerships within um, our industry. But this one just confused me a bit. But I'll tell you where I see the overlap. Um, the overlap that I see is I have a friend working on a very big renovation of a 
um, 30-something floor New York City building. And it was originally a corporate building that is now being used as multi-million dollar condos. They brought in a commercial AV consultant to be able to outfit the entire building, including automations for the pool that's on the 20-something floor, right, to be able to, to uh, integrate all of the systems. That complexity was necessary. That's considered a residential building, but the level of complexity of that installation, of that technology deployment, was such that and as complicated to be a commercial deployment, and they needed that. So, and don't, don't get me wrong, for the individual condo units, they had an interface to a residential integrator that would then be able to say, okay, this type of interface is necessary because the intuitiveness works for this client base, right? So I see that working, but that's a very few and far between type of a type of a situation. Yeah, it, those are uh, those are specialists actually that that do straddle that do what's called the MURB, M-U-R-B business. Um, and uh, you know, for years I've done condo building at amenity spaces, uh, the public spaces, party rooms, uh, gyms. Uh, meeting facilities and whatnot um, won't touch the individual condo. No, uh, just you know because of, uh, of some of the things that uh, that you brought forward. And and it's been said to me more than once. It, one of my dear friends, Rich Rich Fergoza, who's been doing residential for thirty years, is like, you know what? Um, in corporate, you're 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 selling to you know a board. In residential, you're selling to people's hearts, right? And there's emotion tied to that, right? There, there's a whole level of complexity, you know, whether that's the wife or the husband that's, that's really tuned into it, one of them is, is, is rather emotionally attached to uh, the, the look and feel of, of the technology. So, alrighty, uh, last story uh, actually comes from me. Uh, I wrote it. Uh, four ways that the CHIPS Act is going to help AV, and really quickly, this is my synopsis, of a humongous piece of U.S. legislation, uh, roughly $52 billion um, is going into uh, semiconductor production. Uh, Congress passed it uh, about two or three weeks ago now. Um, it has been in and around the U.S. for about two or three years, and the idea here originally was to bring uh, semiconductor uh, production to the states uh, because of defense, quite frankly. Um, the, the U.S. government and the Department of Defense said, oh, hey, wait a minute, um, we can't make chips, which means we can't make fighter jets or anything else. <laughs> well, you know, may, maybe there's a revolver out there that doesn't involve uh, a chip, but that's probably about it, right? Um, and, and I'm being somewhat facetious, but the, the Department of Defense pretty much runs on computers now, right? Um, so what that does, though, is that, that and it's going to be a minute, right, kids? It, it takes about three years and a couple billion dollars to make one of these foundries. So it's not tomorrow. Um, but it does alleviate some pressure on the other ones, which is where this comes in in my, in my head, right? Where you've got Taiwan or China or Korea, which are currently kind of the hotbeds of, of production for everybody, including AV. If the U.S. government says, you know what, we're going to take some of those defense ones back, 
um, which, let's be frank, the U.S. government's going to put pressure on any factory making chips for them and say, you're going to do ours first. I don't care how many AV components you screw. I, I need my fighter jet, right? So there's that. And if they're going to bring that home, so that means that alleviates some of the pressure. There's some other reasons you can read that. But, Brock, I'm, I'm going to start with you. Granted, it wasn't a Canadian bill, but it is certainly going to help uh, AV uh, up north. Do you see some of the logic here, or am I out of my tree when I say that this legitimately will eventually help us in the supply chain issue? Um, I think it will help the world, Tim, and I think that it's uh, it's long overdue uh, to start um, uh, just turn, turning back the pages of time to when America made things. So you will not hear me say very much good about uh, your previous president. But the one thing that he did do immediately day one is he said, we need to get steel production back in the hands of Americans. Um, and, uh, and Canada has done much of the same thing uh, because we can't make those fighter jets or tanks or anything else without steel. And we've offshored our steel. We've offshored, uh, you know, so much of how we live uh, through just this, this uh, incessant kind of onrush of, of globalization. Um, I believe that a, a major industrial nation uh, like America needs very much uh, to be making, to be in control um, of its own, uh, its own economy um, and, uh, and its own means of production. And that certainly includes chips. All right, Gina, uh, as a manufacturer who does rely on chips, let's not be uh, coy here, Atlas certainly does. What does something like this mean to you guys? So, I mean, clearly a number of years out, right? It doesn't take, it, a chip manufacturing plant does not pop up overnight like your tomato plant, right? So um, not going to happen anytime soon, but huge has, has huge repercussions for our industry um, in the future. Atlas IED has already started bringing manufacturing um, to the U.S. We, we never lost our plants in Phoenix and, and NS. We have um, doubled down on the amount of uh, investment that we have in new machinery. So we have new machine, three, three or four new machines in Ennis. Um, with another few coming. So we have uh, new machinery coming in. Um, and, and this is all to supplement that that industrialization or reindustrialization of the United States. Um, we're using our existing facilities. There are a lot of places in the United States that have that NIMBY mentality, right? Like not in my backyard, you, I don't wanna see it here. Uh, we're gonna go run into that a lot. So wonderfully, we have our own plants and, and we will be leveraging those facilities and um, expanding them as necessary because where we have some of our plants, uh, there is room for expansion. Uh, which is which is wonderful, and then you know from a from a manufacturer standpoint, again, I think that what we'll find is that over the next few years, as people start asking the government for more money and more support, funding I think will eventually continue to um, evolve. And so right now they're talking about how, however many billions that they're putting into it. And you know, it probably takes more than that to make a few uh, chip plants, but this is, you know, this is seed money legitimately. And, and so what we're seeing is the, the start of a wave of um, the, you know, a, a new manufacturing 
um, identity for America. And I think to Brock's point, um, the availability uh, worldwide from, from a different type of supplier, it's going to be really cool to watch this evolve. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just for the record, uh, uh, Gina mentioned uh, the plant in Ennis, Texas. Uh, if you ever end up in Ennis, Texas, go by Bubba's Barbecue. Trust me, you can write me a thank you letter later. Holy cow. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nairi, same question here. What does this do for, for you know, for the, the folks on the front lines of AV uh, when we look at, you know, hopefully bettering and, and streamlining the, uh, the, the, the chip supply, I guess, is the best way to put that. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to repeat too much here, but I wholeheartedly agree with both Brock and Gina that, you know, this is a very, very good thing for America and America's economy with the jobs that are going to be created um, because of this, um, but also the speed to market that we will uh, enable. And also, um, I am optimistic that there will be a certain level of innovation um, that will also be enabled as well as, you know, you got more entrepreneurial minds uh, with better access to raw materials to make these things um, a reality. Um, and so I'm, I'm very hopeful of, of what this is to come. I think it's actually going to we're going to start to see benefits of it sooner than than three years. I think, you know, I think a year, year and a half from now. You'll, you'll start to see some of the, the seeds of, of this uh, start to bear bear fruit, so to speak. Um, and then after that, I, I fully expect, you know, um, America to do what America does um, and, and put out great products that, that actually change the world. Um, and so I, I think this is uh, one of the best things, one of the best pieces of legislation that I've ever seen um, in my entire life. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely hopeful uh, that we get our act together, so to speak, with respect to keeping this level of production at home and, and providing opportunities for uh, unskilled labor uh, to really contribute to the economy. I, have, I, I kind of have a question to that end. From an economic standpoint, um, are we ready to pay more for these components? Yes. Okay. I'm doing it right now today because of, well, you know, just sure. being able to, because I have deadlines and projects that need things and the things that I would normally buy are not available. So I am paying more. Don't particularly like that I am paying more, uh, but we are paying more to to get these products because they meet the deadline, not necessarily because they're better. But they meet the deadline, and that's what the name of the game is right now, and that's how it's going to be at least for the next year and a half. I'm putting that flag in the ground. Um, it's it's going to be a year and a half before I think we're out of this supply chain mess. Um, and so, yeah, if you want product, you got this nice fancy building that you want to come up at a certain point in time, you can't really be picky with the products that you have, you know, in the marketplace. And, and one one thing I would I would say is. Um... We we I, I don't know that we will feel it as as Americans initially. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I, I mentioned the Department of Defense. They're the ones who are going to be, you know, the, it's their budget. We're used to paying or, or spending a lot of money. I'm not going to give an adjective, uh, but between six and eight hundred million dollars on a yearly basis to the, the Department of Defense. They're the ones that will feel it first. Then, yes, they will probably raise our taxes and, and then we'll feel it. But to Nairi's point, folks that are needing it right now, they're paying, right? Um, 
I, I've heard several stories of chips being on the gray or even black market that are going for astronomical, like anything from a $50 chip going for $1,000 or $5,000 a piece, right? Depending on, on what chip it is and, and what it is you needed to do. So, yeah, he's right. We're, we're paying for it now already. So, yeah. All right, uh, that will do it for us. Thank you all so much. Uh, Gina Sansevero from Atlas ID. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much, Tim. This was a great group, and I always love to be on with you. Well, thank you. Uh, people connect with you or Atlas IED? AtlasIED.com is our website. You can find me on Twitter at Gina Sands or at Atlas IED underscore, no, Atlas underscore IED, holy cow. And um, also on LinkedIn and Instagram, but it's mostly food and puppies. <laughs> this is accurate, actually. Um, and Gina mentioned, you know, tomato plants popping out of the ground. Once a year, her she she makes like a ginormous thing of, of spaghetti sauce. So you should follow her on Instagram just for those. That mentions. is uh, next weekend. We will be doing our tomato day next weekend, and yes, we will have a bunch of sauce on Instagram. I'm just saying, I will be in New York uh, in October. So. Okay, we will put some aside for you. All right, Nairi, how do people connect with you, sir? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Nairi Hollingsworth, or on the Twitters. I am at Nairi H. Um, thank you so much for having me, Tim. A lot of fun. Good to see you. Uh, yeah. Mr. McGinnis, always, uh, I learn everything, something every time I, I talk to you. So thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Tim. Uh, I appreciate you having me back. A great conversation today. Very uh, upbeat uh, fellow panelists and, uh, and good people. So keep it up, sir. Alrighty. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, on the, uh, don't follow me on the Twitters because I'm officially um, cautiously optimistic about the Bears season. I'll put it that way. Cautiously. It's preseason, kids. It doesn't mean a darn thing in football. I'm sorry. Doesn't mean anything in baseball either, or hockey, for that matter. Uh, Let's go Mets. Yeah, whatever. Uh, go Braves. That's what oh you meant gosh. to say? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to point out that the Cardinals have more World Series than both of them put together, but that's beside the point. Uh, uh, who's 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 the who's the current World Series champion? Not the Cardinals. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Not the Cardinals. <laughs> um, but uh, go by the website if you would please. Avnation.tv. That's Avnation.tv. You will find this program, a host of others. I, I mentioned Cedia. Our buddy Matt Scott uh, records Resi Week and covers the residential market. Uh, you'll also find our fantastic sponsors, people like Atlas IED, uh, the folks that help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and a whole lot more. Uh, programming note, by the time you hear this, listen to this, uh, I will be in Chicago. If you are in Chicago and you are a um, an end user of some sort, you're an IT manager, you're an in-house integrator, come join me. Uh, for an event in, uh, on, on uh, Monday afternoon uh, in Chicago. If you go to the website, there is a new bright blue button that says Fuse. That is our uh, AV and IT manager um, uh, group. Um, so click on that. You can register uh, for the event. Uh, we will also have one coming up in, in New York. I wasn't kidding about October. We're having one in New York as well as one in uh, Southern California. Uh, I'll just say by the end of the year. So how about that? So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.